Thank you. Right. That's nice. I'm going to keep a box of tissues with me <laughs> because I am, I am just so... Uh, every time I have to, uh, you know, he asks me to bring his word, it's, it's so beyond me. It really is. Like, he is just so um, above and beyond anything. And um, it's, it's so hard at times to just even articulate what, what he's saying and doing. Um, anyway, I'm not going to sniff in the microphone, so. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I'm going to get through all of it today, but um, just be with me and let's, let's um, just go with what the Spirit is doing. Um, I just feel like what just happened there is really the message. <laughs> Him coming. Um, you, you know, this is what's happened at the rock, really. We, um, we said, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. And uh, when the kingdom is near, it means the king is near. And the king is like sunlight, purest form of love. But when that light comes, things get brighter. And in the brightness, things are exposed. Everything that is hidden, you can see. Every, every um, you know, when he comes, <laughs> this is the other thing, you know, when he showed up on that, at, that as a, um, on the donkey, to, you know, to declare that he is king, the earth shook. The earth shook. When he comes, that light comes. When he comes, the earth shakes. This, the inside of us, shakes with a holy fear. And every pillar that's been erected by man shakes. And, and every pillar that's been erected by his word and his word alone through intimacy will stand. And what we started to see is that programs are not the pillars. Ministries are not the pillars. The people of God are the pillars that uphold him, that have his name as the banner over his life, over their lives. And it's been the most incredible thing I've, I've ever been a part of, uh, the greatest privilege I've ever been a part of in my life. I'm a privileged woman. <laughs> I'm married to the most capable man I've ever met in my life. Capable. Capable. But, but he is so surrendered to what God wants to do, the capabilities of God. And to be in a marriage where we can do that together is, is incredible. And it's been heartbreaking because we've seen people come and go, and it's been hard. We say, Lord, let your kingdom come. He comes. We run. Don't expose me, the nakedness. But it's... He's incredible. So I'm going to pray this morning because I am, I am so desperate for him to speak. So desperate because um, my words are just not enough. God, the Father of glory, may you give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, which is us. What is the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ and raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So, yes, all week I've been struggling to find words to articulate what God is showing me. Um, And it seems impossible, like I said, to give an accurate and worthy description of how incredible he truly is and what he is doing. So um, the best I can give you today is this message written in uh, the use of words, but I'm really actually relying 
on the Holy Spirit to illuminate to each of us the extraordinary magnitude, the magnitude of what he is doing and what we are in for. To live as Christ and to die as gain. These are the words of Paul. And um, they're pretty big words, right? To live as Christ and to die as gain. The magnitude and the weight of what God has done from the beginning of time and through the ages, outworking into the future, is uncomprehendable. And it's so difficult to um, articulate, but I know that, and I know that I'm only scratching the surface, only the surface of even, even understanding um, the, the manifold wisdom of God, the call and the purpose that God has for his people and in the future um, is explosive, but the reality for us today It's, it's transcendence. It's, it, it breaks out of, um, it's beyond physical law. It's beyond natural law. It is so above and beyond. And uh, t- to come into that is, is incredible. The, the reality we are called to live in through Christ, it's a spiritual and superior and transcendent reality. Now, I know these are big words, but... To just even try to describe it, it is a realm that is above. It is a heavenly realm that is not seen with the physical eye, but the eyes of the hearts. And, um, you know, this reality, it goes beyond limits, beyond human efforts. Um, and it's, it's not a lofty concept. It's the resurrection life of Christ. It's for every believer, for for us to enter into, and it will require faith. Faith that rises above personal limitation, risk to lay it all down, all down, to die to self, fleshly attachments, and human systems, in the absolute faith that his mighty power and faithfulness will revive us again. It's living in such a way that you... You literally have to depend on his power to resurrect you. It is such a state of losing everything, opening your heart up in such a way that that light comes in and takes over. It's scary and it's so risky, but it brings you to a point where you have nothing but him, nothing. And the breath of the Spirit comes and resurrects us. And not into a status quo life, where we're trying to restrain the flesh by keeping fleshly commandments. No, it resurrects us into a life of abundance, life that is beyond limits, life that transcends, that um, you know where it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, the things that God has prepared? How often have we just heard it up to that point? But for those he's given his spirit to reveal the deep things of God. The deep things of God. It's it when we're in relationship with him, where there is a love relationship, you seek things out and and, and then you read it in the word. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like it's there's a work that's been done, it's the substance of Christ. And it's transcendent because you're not living your life to external things that are limited. Resurrected life of Christ is this realm, this reality that is superior to the earthly reality. Crazy. (laughs) It just, it's become clear as daylight how I've lived under the deadening rule of oppressive human systems, the rule of physical death even, that was a big fear for me, the enslavement of fear. Um, these things are real, and it's, it's things I'm, I, I'm dealing with and I have dealt with, um, but it's, I've had to give it to God to lay it down that he would breathe life on those things. Or no, actually allow those things to die and breathe life to resurrect the truth, this reality that is above my thinking.
And uh, it's cool because the spirit in me is like, it really wants to break out like living waters. It's the, the, to a measure, what he's doing, it makes me want more. I'm thirsting for his righteousness. And um, we just, we have to believe that there is a promised land to get through the wilderness. You know, we have to believe that there is resurrected life after death. We have to believe that as Christians, we aren't just called to restrain the flesh and keep the do's and and the don'ts and head to a service on a Sunday. We have to believe that church is not a service. And I've actually got to a point where it really annoys me when I hear it. Because, and I I say this in a nice way, (laughs) if I can, we are the body of Christ. The body. We are people. Um, Let's, let's not take our earthly understanding of what church is and limit it down to a Sunday service. Huh. No. We're a body functioning, moving, demonstrating the life of Christ, the resurrected life of Christ. We have to believe there is substance, not just shadows. There's substance. There's things to point us to Christ but if they're just pointing to him over there and it's not a substance that is outworking here, it's nothing. Do you know what it is? It's knowledge up here. Knowledge up here. And Jesus had a real problem with that. Real problem with those earthly systems that had his name all over it. Had his name, didn't have his will. Had his name, didn't have his nature, his purpose. There's just so much more to this little lifespan we have. Not just to get married and have kids. They're great things. But they're just a shadow of what God is actually wanting from us. This relationship with him and a marriage, a oneness. Children, to, to love and raise them into a maturing of Christ. It's just a shadow. This is a shadow. These things aren't going to last. There is no marriage in heaven. The only thing is him. So, you know, now's the time to get to know him, really know him. You know, Abraham... The calling of Abraham is just another piece of the story of redemption. And um, Paul tells us that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham when God told him that all nations will be blessed in you. Abraham heard the gospel. Like to me, I, I thought the gospel was for today and it's the good news that Jesus died Um, you know, died for my sins that I would go to heaven. Suddenly the gospel just started way back. How little did I know the weight and magnitude of the gospel message and the substance of the message is in Christ. When the gospel, the true gospel, the kingdom message is preached, it's heard, believed and transacted in our lives And we are credited righteous, righteous by believing, by hearing. The Hebrew word for righteous is zedek. And in the Paleo-Hebrew, a righteous man is um, pictured as a humble man that is bent down, opening the door to the sun that is on the horizon. Okay, A humble man who's opened the door where we can see the sun on the horizon. So a righteous man opens the door to reveal what is hidden. Amazing. Amazing. And when we understand that, we can start seeing the faith heroes, what they were doing. Not just with the task that was at hand, but the message they had to bring through demonstration. And that they only saw in parts, that sun was only half risen. But man, it took guts to open that door for others to see. Guts, such courage. When you have sight, you need courage. 
We, the, the righteousness of Christ gives you sight. And when it gives you sight, it gives you discernment. Because suddenly clarity comes where you see him and his brightness. And suddenly everything that is not of him sticks out. And it cuts light dark. No lukewarm, hot, cold. Right through the middle. There was a, um, a man called Zadok, and he was a priest, and he remained faithful to King David uh, through the, re- the rebellion of um, Absalom. And um, he's asked to return the Ark of God to the city that was in a realm of rebellion. And the king said to him, Zadok, are you not a seer? Are you not a seer? You know what is evil and what is holy. You are strong enough, faithful, and committed enough to me to go into the realm of rebellion and idolatry and save the kingdom. Can we see what, um, how listening and hearing the word of God by faith, acting on it in obedience, produces righteousness? And when there's the righteousness, we see. We see, but not only that, we are given the task to open the door to reveal what God is doing to others. What what a privilege. What a privilege. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteous. Righteousness, sorry. Noah became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith, it says in Hebrews. Both these men were humble. And they had a godly fear. They had ears to hear God when he spoke to them. And they believed him. And in Hebrews, it says they welcomed what they saw far off. Welcomed. And that's, that's difficult because, in a way, what you see is so glorious that you welcome that in, but you know these things you have to do overcome. They were obedient, which was evidence in their tasks at hand. Different tasks, but the same gospel message with the same redemptive purpose. For Noah, the deeds of his faith was an obedience of building an ark, an ark that took about 100 years, where rain was never heard about. It was absolute foolishness to man. But it was the wisdom of God. It said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness in that that day, and he was divinely warned of things not yet seen. Not yet seen, but he could see. So inside out. But we can see and hear the spiritual and superior reality that Noah was in. He must have been in a reality where he could see that he was moved by godly fear to build an ark where there had never been rain and put up with people going, what are you doing? That's foolishness, absolute foolishness. But we know that he prepared an ark that saved a household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. But can we imagine the ridicule and the persecution, the risk that Noah had to take on God's word? It's like, he better perform, right? He better bring that rain. Otherwise, I'm going to look crazy. And he did look crazy up until that point. And then it was like, why didn't anyone tell us? You know, my heart is that we, we will never stand before God and go, why didn't anyone ever tell me what was on offer? That breaks my heart. And, and we are hearing what is on offer here. Don't run. Welcome it. No one listened to Noah. He was a humble man who opened the door to reveal a spiritual reality that is hidden in parts but on offer. No one listened, and what happened? The whole earth was taken out. 
the severity of God's word is just, it's not to be dismissed. Today, as long as we call today, we will hear what the, if we will hear what the Spirit has to say. Because it says that we are in the days of Noah. That's what it says. We are in the days of Noah. There is a message that is being preached, and people don't want to hear it. They're getting married, having fun, which is fine, but it's, but in the context of God's purpose being outworked, it's this big. The righteous men today who have opened the door to reveal what is hidden, are we listening? Because you know, the prophets and apostles were killed for bringing this message. And today, we still want to kill them. We still want to kill them because they're from this different reality. And when, they, when, when the kingdom of God comes, when this reality, this resurrected life of Christ comes, this light comes and collides with darkness, collides with the earthly things, the earthly reality, the attachments, the flesh, total uproar. Total uproar. There is a collision that happens. That's the kingdom. We want the kingdom to come. That's what's going to happen. We have to be ready for this. That's why it says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your thinking. Because it's not of the earth. It's of heaven. It's a heavenly realm. So we need the apostles. We need the prophets. Why? Because their perspective is from above. The body needs it. So let's welcome welcome them in, <laughs> not kill them. You know, um, we want to kill them because they, they either come across too serious, <laughs> too lofty, too peculiar to listen to. And uh, we say, that was then, it's not now. Those apostles, those prophets, that's back then. But I want to read you something in Peter. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. We're in grace at the moment. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, who was in the apostles, in the prophets back then, not just today, in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through um, those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Sent from heaven. It's a heavenly message. I love this. Things which angels desire to look into. Things that angels desire to look into. The heavenly realm, their eyes are on us, waiting to see if we will demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God, which is the resurrected life of Christ, that will glorify him. If we want to glorify him, we need to understand that it's his inward being shining out of us. A body that will look like its head, Christ, will bring glory. But it takes death before life. The wilderness before the promised land. It's absolutely mind-blowing to know that we are part of a bigger picture with a vital part to play if we allow him to use our lives for the very purpose he gave it to us, that we can enter into the same arena as our heroes of faith. Abraham, Noah, Moses, the same arena. That blows my mind. It, I, mm. A spiritual superior, transcendent reality with the same task to preach the gospel 
in whatever way he's asking us um, to do, but it's to demonstrate Christ in the generation we're in. And the gospel message is eternal, so the message is transcendent. It's above and beyond. It's beyond age, beyond culture, beyond times. It's the same message being outworked through his faithful people. It's amazing. But we have to know, we have to know to live in and from this reality, to be declared righteous before him, it's going to cost you and us, me, our lives. It's going to take risk and overcoming of persecution and ridicule because in the process, we will become like aliens, foreigners, strangers in the land. And this is something that faith heroes all confessed. They all confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Home might stop feeling like home. Family might not feel like family. Why? Because we entered into, we, well, we have the opportunity to enter into a spiritual, superior, transcendent reality, which is the resurrection of Christ, that is transforming you into the likeness of him. And we will find ourselves living on earth as he did through that process. Isn't that amazing? That once we enter in, the grace covers us for us to be transformed into his likeness that we would demonstrate him. A heavenly being walking on earth in a spiritual dimension, bringing the good news, the purpose of God by laying his life down, which is the manifold wisdom of God, and completely foolish to the natural to bring people into his resurrected life, a life that is transcendent, superior, and eternal. We will become a peculiar people, strange, odd, uncommon, distinctive in nature or character from others, belonging exclusively to, to some person, one person, Christ. You'll find yourselves having awkward conversations, awkward, and causing an uproar, and it's so interesting who and what will be in an uproar. You'll find them to be people or systems that are externally focused, that pride themselves on position, knowledge, and self-sufficiency, and operate and control within the parameters of fleshly rules. You will, you will shake them, and they will not like it. And they will look at you as though you're the weaker being. <laughs> but it's actually the wisdom of God. It will be set up to conform all who adhere to the man-made image of God. The whole system will be set up to feed the God of man's image. So they, you know, it's it's all about God, but it's not. It's all about the lordship of the flesh. And it will try, kill, or destroy the true God. There will be symptoms of an earthbound, limited perspective that has no substance, but will exalt the shadow. It will lack faith because of its self-sufficiency. It it won't need to depend its life, um, its life source on Christ because externally they have everything. They are self-sufficient. There is no need. There is no need for him. I want to look at a few awkward conversations that um, Jesus had. Um, The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If he keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets 
And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? Awkward. (laughs) Right? Are you saying you're greater than Abraham? Yeah, I am. That would rock them up. Rock them up. Who do you make yourself out to be? That's why they say to Christ, to God. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, and whom you say is your God. Yet you have not known him. But I know him. And if I say I do not, if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. <laughs> Schooled, right? <laughs> so funny. But I do know him. I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham, listen to this, I love it. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it, he saw it, he welcomed it, and he was glad in it. What? And the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. Have you, have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. Self-assertive. I am. Goodness me. What is going on here? It's the collision of two kingdoms and it's causing an uproar. Christ, who is a spiritual, who is from a spiritual, heavenly, transcendent reality where he was with Abraham and he is now and he will be. Today is a day uh, that is part of a purpose that is just ongoing. Ongoing, and it's the same God revealing Himself in different parts of the story of redemption towards that that will be demonstrated through faithful people who will believe. Who will believe? These guys did not believe Him. Then, then they took up stones and throw throw them at Him. They're trying to kill Him. They don't like what He's bringing. They don't like what He's saying. Because the the reality is operating here, and they're here. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The temple. They're trying to they're trying to kill God in the temple that He ordained or He set up, so that His wrath was restrained from killing them. I'm going to read that because they could end. Okay, so they, they try to kill God in the temple that he is permitted to have built to restrain his wrath for a time, that they could enter in and know him, have access and be in his company through blood sacrifice. But the thing is they think they know him. They think they know God, the God of Abraham. But he's in front of them and they don't recognize him. And then try to kill him in the temple. Crazy. But they had an opportunity to enter into this reality by knowing God intimately by faith and the internal life that is on offer. Because that's what it says. If you keep my word, where is it? You know, if, if, if you keep my word, you'll live forever. You won't see the end of days. Why? Because God is not a God of the dead. He is a God of the living. If you keep my word, Abraham knew God and kept his word. These guys knew his word but didn't know him. If you knew who was before you, you would ask for living water. 
Matthew 12. At the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in the place, in this place, there is one greater than the temple. Again, we see the limited, self-contained, self-preservation thinking that it's not lawful what you are doing. But Christ goes on to use David as an example who did the same. Now, why is it that David could even do that? David, knowing the law, why is it that David could enter in and eat the showbread, which is for the priests? Because I believe David was in that realm. That spiritual, transcendent reality where he knew Christ before Christ was flesh. The spirit of Christ was in him, which gave him sight, which gave him full access to walk into that temple and eat the showbread, which is the presence of God. That's what it represented there. He just knew that he was fit to be in the company of God. That's what intimacy does. Really, that's what it does. You fulfill the law. You fulfill physical things like that but in a limitless God. Colossians 2.16 So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are the shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath for man, not man for Sabbath. But he must be a godly man. He is great at keeping the law and restraining the flesh. But we're not called to that. We're not called to live in a, 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 a fearful, trying to keep good, try to be a good person. No. No. Because when we come to know him intimately, when we enter into his life, these things pour out of us. And we go beyond the law. Love goes beyond the law, over and above transcendence. Christ, causing an uproar, he would, he would often say, you are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. And it's interesting because both David and Abraham, if you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. You can see why the religious were confused, right? But he's before them. He's after them. He's now. He's before us. He's after us. But only, only those who find life in the life of Christ will see that. Will see that sun on the horizon. And genealogy is such an interesting one because in the day, this was really the life source. If you were in the right genealogy, you, have, you would have position or be spiritually superior, as it would be seen. And it's an interesting example looking how Christ became a high priest. And I spoke about this last time, um, about how he moved into that position. Um, yet he was from the line of Judah, which is not the lineage of Levi, which was required to be a high priest. Does that make sense? Yeah, cool. Um, and Hebrews talks about how Christ became a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek or Melchizedek. Different pronunciation, I'm not sure. Jesus, our high, our high priest, who was heard because of his godly fear, 
the Son of God, moved by godly fear, even though he was a son, learned obedience through suffering, being made perfect as the author and perfecter of salvation to all those who obey him and is called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We hear the word Zadik again, which we know means righteous. Malki means king, so it's king of righteousness. But who is Melchizedek and what makes him so superior that he is this new order of priesthood? We also hear the words godly fear, obedience, and we know others who had the same thing. And um, the only other two times we hear about Melchizedek, other than Hebrews, is in Genesis with Abraham and the Psalms with David. Very interesting. God asked Abraham to leave his home, his land and his family. He obeyed and he took his wife and lots. This is in Genesis. You know, and in those days, like your family and the land is very important to you. Very important. But out of obedience, he went. And uh, it wasn't too long that Abraham and Lot's servants get into um, arguments over the grazing land of their stock, uh, livestock. And so Abraham and, and Lot agree to part ways, and Abraham gives Lot the first choice of land. Lot chooses the land um, of the plain near Jordan, which is near Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the rich pasture land there. And Abraham settles near Hebron. Anyway, an alliance of four kings attacks Sodom and Lot and many others are taken captive. So upon hearing this news, Abraham sends out 318 um, people or a force to rescue Lot. Then it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means peace, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him. Abraham, acknowledging before him a superior reality, a righteous king and peace, a priest of the Most High, and he paid a tenth, a tithe, an offering to this reality, to this person that is before him. Even though Abraham's descendants are the Levi, would, you know, um, one of the lines is, would be the Levites, which are the actual priests of the day. Yet he knows what is before him is superior. And so he tithes. He pays back to that. He pays back to God, which is interesting because tithing hmm, takes on another level, right? You will tithe back to God what is of God. If you don't believe God is at work or is before you, you won't tithe. In the Psalms we read that David prophesies about the coming of Christ. In Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, this is David, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion and rule in the midst of your enemies. Goes on to say, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Abraham, David. And then in Hebrews 7, we hear Melchizedek coming to life. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. Also, Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated the king of righteousness and also the king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Who else is also known as the king of righteousness and the king of peace? who's also a king and a priest forever. Listen to this. Without father, it's describing the Melchizedek reality. 
without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. A life that never ends, eternal life, made like the Son of God. Abraham encountered Christ before he was born. David prophesied about Christ and his priesthood, this heavenly priesthood, before Christ was born in the womb of Mary. How do these guys know these things? It's the Spirit of the Lord that searches out the deep things of God. It's stunning. Can we see how incredible God is? Jesus becoming the high priest of this order with no genealogy. He was from the line of Judah, not Leviticus, which is the earthly priesthood. No beginning of days or end of life, but was our forerunner and gave us access as the high priest ordaining his own sacrifice by laying his life down, gave us access into this reality a superior, transcendent, eternal reality that has no genealogy, uh, no mother, no father, as Christ says. It's of a different realm, heavenly realm, and it goes on forever. How do we enter into this realm? It's going to require death. And we need to come and have peace with God about that. And let me explain that. Peace means unity with God. In Ephesians 2.15 it says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace. Do we hear that? To create himself one man from two, making peace. One man must die so one man can live. Do we hear that? Jesus dies so that we could enter into his resurrected life. Jesus doesn't die so that he enters into our earthly life. We enter into his life, and only one man can live, and that's Christ, and that is peace. That's true peace. We are in desperate need of the cross and the resurrection life of Christ. If we are wise, we will do what Jesus did, endure the cross and despise its shame for the joy that is set before us. To do this is to submit the whole pattern of our lives to be destroyed and built again in the power of an endless life. And we shall find that it is more than poetry, more than sweet hymnody and elevated feeling. The cross will cut into where it hurts worst, sparing neither of us nor our carefully cultivated reputations. It will defeat us and bring us our selfish lives to an end. Only then can we rise in the fullness of life to establish a pattern of living, wholly new and free of good works. That was A.W. Tozer. Describes it beautifully. We've run out of time, but I, I hope we heard who we are living for, that he is superior, transcendence, above and beyond all things, and he's actually made a way for us to enter into the resurrected life that is on forever, but there has to be a death. I'm going to leave it there. Thanks. That's the gospel. And the challenge um, is to receive it and believe it and seek it. Um, and I would strongly, in fact, I would use the words that Paul used, urge you to meditate and marinate on that over 
and over and over and over again. I would also ask you to go read 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5 and ask yourself this. Did you hear the gospel in word only? Or did you hear it in word with power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction? Ask yourself, be honest with that. Ask the Holy Spirit what that even means. I'm going to unpack that a bit next week. Um, But I would strongly urge you, do not let this just go by as if that was a nice message, it was interesting, and then go and have lunch and discuss that, you know, what the Kiwis beat the Aussies last night in league. Woohoo, pretty cool. Let that be the diet that you feed on. Not just tomorrow. Endless. Because that was so beautifully articulated and it is who we are called to become. And I think you can probably start getting an idea of the enormity of what Christ did on the cross for the reality of who he sees the church to be rather than who we've been told we are and the messages that we've been preached. He is releasing a greater dimension right now on the earth of who we are to be. The enemy will try and prevent you from hearing that. Your own self will try and help you, will try and come against you hearing that and receiving that. So allow the Holy Spirit, whose role is to lead you into all truth within you. Don't let that stay here. Let him bring it and reveal it in. And I promise you, you will be different, amazingly different. So, Father, I just want to acknowledge and put my weight for whatever that's worth behind what was just spoken. And I thank you, Lord. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear and that you would lead us We would not strive to try and understand that. We would receive that by the power of your Spirit to understand it. Do not let our minds try and go somewhere right now to try and understand that. And Father, I pray that our minds would not try and figure all that out because it's impossible if that is not a revealed position. Our Spirit can receive that and understand that through the power of your Spirit leading us into it. And I pray that would be the pursuit that we would go down and not be distracted down any other lane, Father, to try and understand that in a wisdom of the world. So, Lord, I pray that you would protect what was spoken. I pray that it would go deep into our spirit and you would start to work and bring to light the reality of what was just shared in Jesus' name. Amen.